This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Preborn. For $140, you can provide ultrasounds to five women in crisis pregnancies. Call now, 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229 or JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford Today. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Are we going to stand with God come what may? If the Word of God says it, I believe it! And that's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. Thank you so much for joining us again. Well, there has been a lot of talk recently about the renewed need in the world for Christian evangelism. In light of declining membership numbers in the Southern Baptist Convention, for example, denominational president Steve Gaines told delegates to emphasize evangelism more. And many other Christian denominations, as well as parachurch ministries, seem to be putting renewed emphasis on the need for the church to fulfill Jesus' great commission. So how can we do a better job evangelizing the lost? That's what we're going to be exploring today with John Sorensen. John is president and CEO of Evangelism Explosion International and hosts the great radio program Share Life Today. And he is here to share some of his thoughts as well as some of his tips for evangelizing the world. And we're so glad you're here, John. So great to have you. How are you? Well, oh, Janet, thank you so much. I'm doing great. And I appreciate you having me on. I love talking to you. All right. Let me just ask your thoughts straight out of the gate here. What are your thoughts on the state of evangelism in America? How are we doing as evangelicals in terms of sharing the gospel with the lost? Well, I, I think that, you know, if there was a scorecard for that kind of thing, I, I think we'd have to be in the pretty poor area, the D or, or maybe F. I mean, I hate to say it that way, but, you know, back when a ministry like Evangelism Explosion started in the late 50s, early 60s in America, it was pretty common that for every about 10 members of a congregation that you'd see somebody come to Christ. And that was pretty pretty much across the board on the denominations. I could tell you about major denominations today that have been very evangelistic in the past. The, the number's 300 to 1. So for every 300 members, one person's coming to Christ. There was a, I, I saw a professor from a, a, a seminary in, in one of the main denominations uh, last week who said they were at 50 to 1, and 50 to 1 is a really good number. So to move so far from, from uh, 10 to 1 to 50 to 1, and, and you think about it, you just take the, the budget of a church, so you, you think there's 200 members in the church, four people are coming to Christ in a year, what's the budget of the church? How how much is this costing us? Not that uh, every soul isn't worth an, in, uh, an infinity number of dollars, but still, you know, are we really being good stewards with what we're, we're doing and leading folks to Christ? And, and so I, I think we're in a pretty poor spot. But like you said in your intro, that to me, there really feels like there's an awakening today. There's a, re, a renewed interest in getting back to the basics of sharing the gospel with people who haven't yet, yet heard or haven't yet encountered it directly. And so I think that bodes well for the future. Yeah, I think you're right on the money about all that. I hate thinking about us earning a D or an F, but I think when you look at the picture out there and you see how we're doing it, I don't know how you can deny that. And here's the question. I've always struggled with this for, for many years as I've dealt with the way different churches handle evangelizing and the, the ways they think about it. You look at the book of Acts and it's so pure and it's so straightforward and you have the apostles excited. They've just seen the resurrected Christ and they go out and they preach the gospel and many, many 
times it says throughout that book, and the word of the Lord spread and thousands were saved daily. The Lord was adding to the number of those who who were being saved. Today, though, they'll talk about the fact that a lot of evangelical churches basically grow according to attrition from other churches. In other words, you're not having people coming in because they're brand new Christians and they're looking to get discipled. You're having people move from one church to another. I don't understand why we seem to have that disconnect between how the church grew in the early church and how you grow churches today. Am I missing something here? Or what are your thoughts on no, it? No, you're, you're exactly on with this. You know, I was, I was chatting with a pastor a month ago or so whose church went, it's a new church, went from zero to 700 inside of a year. And yet I, I pressed him on that, what you just said, that very thing. How many are new believers? And he couldn't point out one, not mm. one. Mm. They're all, you know, coming sheep stealing, if you will, or yeah. sheep swapping, if you will, from, uh, from other churches. And so if we call church growth uh, what's happening in his church, and, and that success for us today, well, then there's really very little reason to go out and share the gospel and lead people to Christ. And, you know, the truth is, is there was a book, I don't know, about 10 years ago called Surprising Insights of the Unchurched by a guy named Tom Rayner, pretty smart dude. And, yep. and he, he did this, uh, this survey on, on what, while he, these folks still remembered being converted, if you will, going from absolutely unchurched to church, which is our goal, while they could still remember that, he asked them a whole series of questions and came out with, I think, 11 or 12 surprising insights of the unchurched. And the the second surprising insight was the imperative of personal evangelism. Literally, three out of four 75% of the people that he spoke to that were used to be unchurched, now they're churched, when asking them why, what happened, what was the distinct issue that caused this to occur in your life? And the answer was, undeniably, somebody came out, sat in my living room, shared the gospel with me, and that changed my life. Mm -hmm. And so if that's the truth, if that 75% of those that are coming to Christ are coming through a personal one-on-one discussion with with a friend, with a a relative, with even somebody they just met, perhaps a a work associate, not. Um, If that's how it happens, then, you know, I I think we're pretty far from that, Mark. I mean, that is not, um, the word that's coming to my mind is kosher. That's not (laughs) normal in the area of evangelism uh, in in today's world, sadly. Yeah, that's right. What about the aspect of evangelism that you really have to have to even want to do personal evangelism? And that is a conviction that people without Christ are lost, that people without Christ will go to hell apart from faith in him. Are we lacking that? Do you think that is part of what is driving the D or the F that you gave to our evangelization efforts? You know, there is an altogether uh, a lack of concern about that. And either we just come be- become like closet universalists where we really believe it's all going to work out, or the opposite side, we've been clo- become closet hyper-Calvinists and we think there's nothing we can do about it. And yeah. somewhere in that, that gray world, we've decided that there's nothing that we can do uh, about the lost. And we package it in a couple of different ways, but and we've forgotten sadly, that the gospel is in fact powerful. It, it actually does do what the Word of God says it'll do. It changes people's lives from the inside out, and it gives them an entirely new perspective as they come into right relationship with Christ. And there, there is no other means by which that happens except the gospel being proclaimed. And, and so, yeah, I think we've, we've gotten into a, a number of different uh, uh, of areas that have kept us busy and doing certain things, but 
the, the forefront is not sharing the truth of Jesus with those who've, who've not yet heard. And, and so, I, again, I, I, I feel like that's changing because some of the, I mean, I've heard some pretty dire statistics of late. You mentioned the Southern Baptist world and, and a friend of mine that's in that, that world, and I guess so am I. I've just joined a, a Southern Baptist church here in, in Asheville. He was saying that, that, and I can't prove this because I've not seen the stats that he was quoting, but, but what they were saying is going on right now is that basically if they stay on the same trend they're on now, that they've got less than 30 more Easter's until they no longer exist as a church in the United States. Oh, now, boy. that's shocking to think that, that, that you could even say a statement like that. And again, I can't prove it, but, but if that's true, you know, I think that is a very healthy wake-up. And I, I think you're beginning to feel that, that people are, are waking up. And the good news is, here's the good news. The good news is the gospel actually does work, and it works today. It works in, in 2017 just like it worked back in 1961. And yeah. so, you know, when the gospel is proclaimed, some hear it, out of some that hear it, some are changed. And, and we just see this over and over again, uh, not only all over the world, but here in the United States. Right. And it's just like Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. This is true back in his time. It's true today. It's we true need, today. Yeah. And one of the things I love about Evangelism Explosion, we're going to get into this, John, in more detail, is all of the ideas that you have and all of the resources that you guys have to help people engage in personal evangelism. And what I want to do is when we come back from this break, I want to dive into some of those because that's part of it, isn't it? People just feeling ill-prepared. Yes. Amen. Yeah, exactly. So what we're going to do is we're going to go to a very quick break and we're going to come back. John Sorensen, so wonderful that he is here because he is the guy to talk to about evangelism, ideas, how to engage and how to tell your neighbor about Jesus Christ. We're going to come back on Janet Mefford today right after this. Christians losing their businesses for not baking wedding cakes for homosexuals. Parents losing custody for not affirming their child's gender identity. Big tech censoring Christian books, videos, and social media posts. This isn't a dystopian nightmare. It's America in 2020. But what will God's people do to respond to the sexual radicals whose rising social and political power is threatening our religious freedom and our free speech? It's time for Christians to get informed about the looming threats that we're facing and learn how to respond as both salt and light. That's why I'd like to personally invite you to join me at our second annual God's Voice Conference, a biblical response to LGBTQ plus tyranny coming to Oklahoma City on April 17th and 18th. You'll hear from an unprecedented lineup of some of the leading Christian thinkers, pastors, pro-family activists, and medical and therapeutic experts who are fighting on the front lines of this battle and standing firmly on God's word in the face of growing LGBTQ plus opposition to Christianity. Let me tell you, there's nothing else like God's Voice Conference to get Christians ready to stand in this evil day. So I hope to see you at the God's Voice Conference and Outreach of First Stone Ministries, April 17th and 18th in Oklahoma City, and take advantage of our early bird discount registration, only $85 through March 1st. So don't delay. Go to godsvoice.us. That's godsvoice.us and register for a conference unlike any other. Go to godsvoice.us and register now. What the church needs now is God's Voice. 
From Kingdom Story Company comes I Still Believe. Based on the real-life true story of chart-topping singer Jeremy Camp, I Still Believe reminds us that amidst life storms, true hope can be found in Christ. He chose to walk into the fire with her. That's what love is. If one person's life is changed by what I go through, it will all be worth it. I Still Believe. Starring KJ Apa, Britt Robertson, Shania Twain, and Gary Sinise. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. In theaters March 13th. More information is at IStillBelieveMovie.com. You're listening to Janet Mefford today, and now, here's Janet. We are back on Janet Mefford today, and I'm delighted to have with me John Sorensen, President and CEO of Evangelism Explosion International. And given a lot of the news recently that various denominations and various Christians in different capacities now see we really have to fulfill the Great Commission, not just because Jesus commanded it, but because we see the shrinking in many cases of our churches. And we recognize that people need to come to Jesus Christ. We need to be able to preach the gospel, see people come to Christ and become disciples of Jesus Christ. And John is the guy to talk to about this because this is his specialty. John, talk a little bit about the beginnings of personal evangelism, because certainly before you can share the gospel, you have to understand it, get it right and be able to explain it to somebody. So what should be included in your view in a gospel presentation? If you're starting out with a Christian who says, I'm willing to do it, John, but what do I need to include in the gospel presentation, regardless of how I present it? What kind of content? needs to be present within that presentation. Good. Okay, thank you. Well, before I do, let me step back just a second and, and reassure anyone that's listening that, that's willing to take a challenge like that. I can tell you that, that you know, it's, it's in the doing that we find the success, not necessarily in the, the brilliance of the presentation. I will okay. I will talk about that in a second, but let me reassure you that I've heard some, no, let me do it this way. I've done some really bad <laughs> gospel presentations in my life and got to the end and said to the person, does this make sense to you? And they said, yes. And wow. it's like, I, I don't understand that. There's, no, there's nothing. I mean, I didn't understand it. And I'm the one who said it. <laughs> and, you know, the Holy Spirit shows up and, and he uses um, the, it really, it's a step of faith. It's stepping up and stepping out in faith and, and being willing to, to engage. The, now, before I answer your question directly, let me say the first thing for us to become witnesses, we have to believe it matters. And, and that, that's the first step. And, for me, really, the, the day that I decided that I was going to start becoming a witness was the day that, you know, I, I was um, walking around the block with my neighbor's uh, son, and my neighbor's son said, um, you know, mom doesn't live here anymore. Uh, she moved out today. And, and so we, we got back around to our house, and I saw my neighbor sitting out on his porch, and, and I was really wrestling. Do I go over and say anything, or do I just keep my mouth shut and go in my, my uh, door? And, and yet I was so burdened by in, in my neighbor, Bill. And so I went next door, and I said, hey, Bill, listen, i got to tell you, Jesus can fix this. He's the most important thing in my life. He saved me through so many things, and, and, and I know that he can make this right. He can make this better. If, and my neighbor, I, I'll never forget this expression. He looked at me, and he goes, John... 
you're a liar. Mm. <laughs> it's like, what? Wow. He goes, no, wait, there's no way you can say Jesus is the most important thing in your life. You get a new car, you take me for a drive the same day you get it. You got a new barbecue grill one day and you came over, you had to show me every single uh, knob and whatnot on it. And he said, and you're going to tell me Jesus is the most important thing in your life. And you've said nothing to me for five years. We've lived next to one another. Mm. You're telling me he could have fixed my marriage and I wouldn't have had to have gone through this day wow. if you would have just said something, but you didn't. Janet, I, I had to literally pick myself up off the ground. And I, you know, for the first thing I had to do was, was to apologize and say, look, I'm really sorry. And will you forgive me? And then started a conversation with him that did lead him coming to Christ. And it utterly changed his life. They got back together again, happily married even to this day. But, but the, first, the first thing that had to happen for me to become a witness was I had to become more willing to hear whatever hard thing there is to hear today. Then, I mean, can you imagine, I heard that after five years, but can you imagine hearing those words on the last day of my life mm-hmm. when, when, I'm, when nothing could be done about it? And, and, and yet that's the way I, I lived in so many ways as a Christian. I, you, you say nice things about me, but to be, be honest with you, everyone listening right now, I'm the biggest chicken of, of, the, of us all. Mm-hmm. And, and given, you know, any, if my, my choice to do whatever I want to do, I just go in my room and read a book and stay by myself. And so for me to, to make a decision, you know, to get out and to start engaging and to start to be used by God and to allow him to love others through me, which is really the biggest aware, aha moment, was when I realized that God really does love the lost. And I, I mean, I knew it conceptually from Luke 15, from the lost coin, the lost sheep, the lost son. I, I mean, I got it, but still, I, I never experienced it. And so, but when, when I started to let him love the lost through me, uh, it started, it changed everything about what I was willing to do. And so, I guess that's the key, is first deciding that this is something that you want to be about. And, you know, literally to his last day, Dr. D. James Kennedy, the man who founded the Ministry of Evangelism Explosion, he would literally, I watched him, he would literally smack his knee in the middle of a conversation. And that was the moment, I could see it in his eye, that was the moment that he made the decision that this conversation was going to be about eternal things and not just about the weather and the news and the sports and whatever. And, And I'd watch it change. The moment he smacked his knee, all of a sudden we would start into a spiritual conversation. Now, you know, the truth is, I think the reason why a lot of folks don't witness is they think that it's going to offend people, or they think that people don't want to hear it, or they think that maybe they'll do more damage than they'll do good. And I guess, again, if I could give any assurance at all, it's just not that's true. I know it's a fear we have, but it's not a valid fear. Again, there was a, a statistic done just here last year. You can find it online. Ed Stetzer put it together. Literally, in the process of, of talking to non-Christians about what they think about Christians and evangelism, what he found was is that 79% or 78%, it's a big number, of the non-Christians that he spoke to said that their Christian friends did not talk to them enough about Jesus. These are non-Christians saying that if, if the Christians have this belief and they believe it strongly, then they ought to talk about Jesus. And so, you know, I think that's the biggest issue is if we can become convinced that we can make a difference, that it is something that we want to be part of and, and that people are, 
generally okay with having a, a spiritual conversation. Once that's happened, then we can kind of get out, step out, and start to have real conversations. And the, the first step, and you can interrupt me at whatever point you want to, Janet, because I can go on and on about this. No problem. But the, the first step is your own personal testimony. And I would encourage you strongly, everyone listening, to develop your own testimony. God is doing some things in your life today that are going to make a difference in other people's lives when they hear the story. Now, as soon as I say it, I recognize that there are people listening who are saying, well, no, 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 <laughs> that's, that's fine. I'm sure he must be talking about lots of other people, but not me. My, my story doesn't matter. And, and the truth is, is if you believe that, you're going to have a tough time with the book of Revelation where God says that they'll overcome Satan by the blood of the Lamb and the word of, of our testimony. Yep. And so our testimonies are powerful. And I, I could tell stories the rest of today about sweet little old ladies that, we had, that I had on one of my teams who said, my story doesn't count. We worked on developing it. We'd go out to do evangelism. And wouldn't you know, it would be her exact story that gave a hearing to the gospel. <laughs> and so, you know, I just never discount what it is that God's doing in your life. And so develop your testimony and sorry for the shameless plug, but if you don't know how to do that, we have an absolutely free website cost nothing. You can use it for free today called whatsmystory.org. Okay. You can go to that website, whatsmystory.org. It'll help you to develop your story so that you can begin to share it with people. And so when you start a conversation and you're, you're having a conversation with a friend or with a, a relative, with a, a work associate, with a neighbor, um, and even, yes, with strangers that you meet as you go through life, you, you can start into a conversation about the news, weather, sports, and then blend Blend it in, blend your story in. And, you know, it, you're going to find that, that it's awkward in the beginning, but then you're going to find that you're going to start to find an easy way that you can uh, connect people to that. And uh, I could give you illustrations if you want me to do that. But, you know, once you've told your story, it's very easy to say, would you like to know how that happened? Yes. And, and, and you know, I, honestly, I could, I'm sure I'd be wrong because I don't remember everything. But as I think through in the past, I cannot remember getting to the end of my testimony, saying to somebody, would you like to know how that happened and having them say no. I, I, can't, I can't recall the last time that that happened. And, and once you're given the permission to go ahead, then you can begin to share how that happened in your life. That's so great. I love that. You know, John, one of the things that often will come up, and I think I kind of fall into this category, is there are some Christians who say, I've been a Christian for so much of my life. I was so small when I became a Christian that my story is terrible. I don't have a good testimony. I wasn't a drunk in a gutter somewhere in an urban environment. I didn't, you know, convert from Islam. I wasn't in a cult, none of that. What about those people who say my story is dull? So how, do, how would my yeah. story touch anybody's life? Amen. Well, that's a great question. And, and when you go into that website, whatsmystory.org, it's going to ask you that question. Did you come to Christ that's, I think, the first question that's asked. At a point where you can remember what it was like before, or was it so early on in your life that you can't remember that? And, and so we're not going to try to make you manufacture some free uh, <laughs> thing that, that you can't remember. Or, or, but here's the thing. A testimony isn't just what you 
what you experience being saved from. It's also what you know you were saved from. Amen. So if, if you, like all of my kids, you know, they, they came to Christ at a pretty good, pretty early age. You think about the things that they were spared as, as children yep. and things that they were spared as teenagers. And it is not at all hard for them to come up to, to say, listen, I'm, I'm glad I have this relationship with God. I'm glad I have eternal life because I have a peace when everything around me didn't look like it was peaceful. And I saw other people struggling mightily with it. And yet I had a peace that didn't make sense. And, and so, you know, you can tell your story from what you didn't experience as much as you can tell it from what you did. Good. That's really good. I really like that, John. That's great. We're going to get into more tips from John Sorensen, president and CEO of Evangelism Explosion International, as we discuss how to evangelize. We'll be back on Janet Meffer today after this. This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Preborn. For $140, you can provide ultrasounds to five women in crisis pregnancies. Call now, 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229 or JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford Today. And now, here's your host, Janet Mefford. We are back on Janet Mefford today. We're talking about how to evangelize. This is Jesus' Great Commission, go into all the world and make disciples of every nation. And it seems a lot of Christians are waking up to the need for more evangelization, especially as we turn into more and more of a post-Christian country, not just in the United States, but across the West. The world needs to know about Jesus Christ. And this is our honor and our duty as Christians to tell the world how they may leave the kingdom of darkness and come into the kingdom of God. And John Sorensen is with me, president and CEO of Evangelism Explosion International. He also hosts the Great Radio, I can't say it, the Great Radio program, Share Life Today. John, this is interesting. I just had this experience this morning with our youngest daughter, and she's quite the little missionary. She's got one of your Evangelism Explosion cubes that you use for evangelism (laughs) to tell her friends about Jesus. She said to me this morning, no joke, she said, Mommy, would it be okay if we made some door hangers to tell people about Jesus and hang them on all the doors in our neighborhood? And I just looked at her and I said, you are so, I mean, little kids out on the mouths of babes. And she said, I just want to tell everybody how they can be saved. And I said, we started a talk about tracts. We started talking about that. And that's one of the other things you have talked about is is using tracks, using some of those materials to help people learn about the Lord. What what do you recommend in terms of using those sorts of resources to aid in evangelizing? Yeah, amen. Well, thank you. I, You know, the truth is, whatever you'll use is the best thing for you, you know, whatever. And so if it is a, a cube, like what your daughter uses or a tract, you know, I can tell you this, that the very first person I led to Christ was my fiance, now my wife. Oh. And I did it only because I had a gospel tract with me. Oh, neat. I had no clue. I had just come to Christ, you know, like three or four days earlier, five days earlier. And so, you know, I didn't know what to say. And yet with that tract, I was able to stay on track and I was able to share the key points of what a person needs to 
to understand to to be saved and so and of course it made all the sense in the world to her and and she came to Christ I think here's the thing that I want to again make sure that we recognize and that we hang on to as we get into this process of witnessing and that's this thing called a divine appointment mm-hmm. you know as as your daughter is out hanging these door hangers on remember this is not a one-way conversation this isn't merely your daughter telling the neighbors that they ought to know about Jesus and that they'd be good if it would be good for them if they did this is also the Holy Spirit working in the hearts of those people and you don't yeah. even know which ones they are True. you think about a whole neighborhood and you'd have to think well there's at least one of them God's working in their heart right now right. and so that's going to basically join God in what he's already doing in that person's life. That's going to be the thing he uses in order to get them to consider um, this, this truth of Christ. And so isn't it great that we can join God in the things that he's already doing in people's lives? And, you know, I, I think you, you can get very frustrated if you decide that you're going to go out in your own power and you're just going to make sure that every single person in America hears about Jesus today. Yeah. And you're going to do that through whatever means necessary. And you're going to, I think you're going to find it's going to be very frustrating for you because there are some people who don't want to hear it. Mm-hmm. And the, the thing that's different today than, than maybe 40 years ago, the people who don't want to hear it are more vocal about not wanting to hear it yes. than what they used to be. Yes. There's actually not more of them. I know that that sounds surprising to a lot of folks. There, there are not more people that don't want to hear now than there were then. It's just that they're, they're willing to tell you about it. And, and the truth is, honestly, Janet, as we look at our statistics and the things that we're doing, uh, the, the number is actually higher today of the, the people who want to hear and will respond to the gospel. It, it's actually quite a bit higher than what it was 50 years ago uh, in America. Again, that's not what you'd commonly hear or think based upon the way that the church acts in public today, but that is the truth that we see. But, but never forget that, again, as Henry Blackaby said, that experiencing God, we're, it's, a, it's a process of finding out where God is working and joining Him in it. And that, for me, is experientially really what witnessing is all about. I'm constantly trying to find people who God is working in their lives and then joining in that process. And it really is, it, it's a huge joy to be used by God in that way. And it's actually one of the most exciting things we get to do this side of heaven is, as Christians. But it's, but it's believing that and beginning to act based upon that belief that, that gives us the, the ability to go forward. Absolutely. Well, many people will remember, you know, from the early days of Evangelism Explosion, this great question that you guys have people ask, going to a center and saying, if God were to ask you, why should I let you into my heaven, what would you say? This yeah, is a, this is a classic question to me. That's the brass tacks. If you are talking to somebody, regardless of what their personal issue happens to be, whether they're atheists or or skeptics or what have you, this is the bottom line question. If you were to die tonight and God asks you, "Why should I let you into heaven?" What would you say? That seems to be really a classic 
opening line to be able to talk to somebody. Is that one you continue to use when you talk to people? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, typically what I would do is sit down and start a conversation with a, a person and, and then as just as a normal conversation about life and things. And eventually I'll say, you know what, it sounds like you're your life is going pretty good. And, you know, would you say that? And yeah. And now I'm going to ask you a silly question and you might, might feel a little awkward or whatever, but it helps me to understand if you had to rate it, like on a scale of one to 10, 10 being the best life that anybody could ever live and one being the worst life, I mean, where would you be today? And, and it's not odd that I'll hear five, I guess I'm a five, I guess I'm a six. And then I ask the question, well, what, what makes it that? You know, what what makes it a five or a six? What what are the good things in your life that are the really big ticket items that, you know, that that make that like that? And you know, usually, the, honestly, if it's a young guy that I'm talking to, they'll say, "Oh, I've got a decent car and I've got a decent <laughs> girlfriend" or something like that. And, All the important stuff. And, and yeah, the important stuff. And I'll go, you know, I'm not a prophet or the son of a prophet, and I mean you no harm, but I, I have to say the things you just said can be temporary, right? I mean, you can lose the car, you can lose the girlfriend, and and so then would your number go down, I guess, if that were the case? And, you know, usually, yeah, I guess it would. And then I ask the question, if God were in your life, do you think he'd go up or down? And it doesn't really matter what the answer is, but usually people say up, and that gives me the, the, the avenue now to say, well, you know, experientially, that's really what's happened in my life. I used to be, honestly, I was like a one or a two, and there were days I was praying to die to a God I didn't even, wasn't even sure I believed in. And then I, somebody shared with me the most incredible thing, and... I went to, I've been like a seven or eight or nine. I mean, some days I'd say 10. I don't want to sound braggadocious, but it's been a remarkable, dramatic change. Would you like to know how that happened? So there's my testimony right there that I just weaved in there. And they go, sure. And I, and I said, but before I do, I've got to ask you a question. And it's the question you just asked. And, and the point is, the key is this. It's, it's for you, sure, but it's for them more. You know, if they, if they say, if I say to them, what would you say to God if he said, why should I let you into my heaven? The, the most common answer I hear is, same answer I gave when I heard that question. You know, I'm trying to do enough good. I hope the good things I do outweigh the bad things I do. I hope that I'm doing this, I'm doing that, I'm doing this. This is why God would let me into my heaven. And and once they hear that come back out of their mouth again, later on as you're sharing, it's going to be the thing that reminds them that they actually were not trusting in Jesus when the conversation started. They might have known about him, but they weren't trusting in him. Right. And so when we, when we share and talk uh, through the gospel and what that means to trust in Christ, and then eventually we bring that back to them and say, now when we started the conversation, literally I've had so many people's eyes just go, wow, I didn't realize that. I was trusting in me. I knew about Jesus, but I was trusting in me. And exactly right. And what we're saying to be saved, we have to put our trust in Christ and Him alone. And that's the point when they understand. And so that question is so critical. In fact, I talked to some Christians who say, I never lead anybody to Christ. I share with people all the time. But I never lead anybody to Christ. And the reason is, they're not asking that question. If they did, and they got an answer to the question, some people won't wait for the answer. If you'll wait for the answer, if you'll reiterate it back to the person so that you have clear understanding of where where their hope is, that's the answer to the question. What are you hoping in, in order to get into heaven? 
That is that is the question. Yeah, John, hang on just a moment. We've got to run to another break. We're going to come back, though. John Sorensen with us from Evangelism Explosion International. We'll return on Janet Meffer today right after this. The healthcare open enrollment period has ended. Did you miss it? Don't go a whole year without having a healthcare program. Sign up with Liberty HealthShare. As a Christian healthcare sharing ministry, Liberty HealthShare is not insurance, so you can still sign up. In fact, you can sign up any time of year, and there are no contracts. Starting as low as $199 a month, Liberty HealthShare has memberships for singles, couples, and families, so you can choose the ideal program for your situation. Plus, Liberty HealthShare has no network, so you're free to pick your own doctors, hospitals, and providers. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit ministry, so your money goes toward helping other members with their eligible medical expenses. And in your time of need, other members are there for you, too. You can feel good knowing you're part of a community of like-minded individuals who understand the importance of people coming together to bear one another's burdens. Go to libertyhealthshare.org JMT for more information. libertyhealthshare.org JMT. Hi, this is Mike Reagan, author, political commentator, and son of the 40th President of the United States, Ronald Reagan. And I enthusiastically support the life-saving work of preborn. They work 24-7 in the highest abortion cities in America to care for moms in unplanned pregnancies. Would you go to preborn.org today and help save an innocent baby's life? Saving a baby's life has never been as important as it is right now, with more and more states legalizing abortion up to nine months. The Ministry of Preborn is the largest provider of free ultrasound sessions in the nation. Would you join with Preborn and Janet Mefford today to help save babies? For $140, you can sponsor five ultrasounds and help save five babies from abortion. All gifts are tax deductible, and when you donate, you'll receive a story and a picture of five babies whose lives were spared. To donate, call 855 855- 855402 baby 855402 that's 855402 baby or there's a banner to click at janetmefford.com you're listening to janet mefford today and now here's janet we are back on Janet Mefford today talking about evangelism, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, those famous verses, for by grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. There are many people today, you may engage this person in a particular conversation about the gospel, and as John Sorensen, my guest, president and CEO of Evangelism Explosion International, has been saying, there are many people who would say, why should God let me into his heaven? Well, I've been really good, I've tried hard, I haven't been Hitler. I've been nice to my wife and kids and tried my best. But the Bible says very clearly that we need to come to God only through the only mediator, which is Jesus Christ. And we're talking about ways that we can evangelize our friends, family and neighbors and strangers. We need to be about the business of evangelism. And John Sorensen is an absolute expert in this area. One of the things I love that you do, John, and I know you and I have talked about this before, but very quickly, the gospel hand presentation, I think, is also a very creative way to engage people and and to be able to share your testimony, to be able to tell people about Christ. What all does that involve? Well, yeah, it's a, just a real simple way to teach somebody the basic core of the gospel presentation is, as actually when we started this conversation, you, you asked the question, you know, what are the keys? What does a person need to understand in order to have eternal life? And, and really, it 
boils down to those five things. It's really handy because you have five fingers. And for the most part, you usually take those along with you when you go out and about. And <laughs> <Yes>. so, <laughs> you know, you've got these reminders. And, and um, really, simply put, your thumb stands for heaven. And um, the fact that it's a free gift, your, your index finger stands for man. And the fact that we're sinners and because we can't we're sinners. We can't save ourselves. Our largest finger reminds us of God, and we we know about God a couple of things. One is that he loves us, but the other is that he's just, and he absolutely must punish sin, which we already admitted we are one of. And then our fourth finger, which is typically your ring finger you'd put a, a, a ring on, reminds us of Christ. You know, he's the groom, and the church is the... the uh, the, the bride. And so uh, that finger reminds us of Christ and who he is and what he did. And then the smallest finger that you have, it reminds us of that little mustard seed in scripture. It says, if you have faith as of the mustard seed, you can say this mountain move, it'll move. So the smallest finger reminds us of this idea of faith and what it, what it is, first of all, what it's not, and then what it is. And so right there on your hand, everywhere you go, you've got uh, reminders as to what the, the core of the gospel is. In order for a person to be saved, frankly, they need to understand that they're a sinner. Now, most people do understand that they're a sinner. They just don't understand the the problem that, that sin uh, presents. Yes. You know, they think that maybe it's, it's just they have to do a little better good than bad. What they don't realize is the Bible very clearly says that you can't have any sin. You cannot have one sin and still get into heaven based upon your own activity. And so the truth is, the Bible also tells us that we've all sinned, and so none of us can get into heaven based upon our own actions. That's the bad news. And then it gets even worse when we understand the nature of God, that that third piece of it, and that while He loves us, and He does, in fact, the Bible says God is love, but the same Bible that teaches us that he's love also teaches us that he's just, and he cannot stand sin. He's too holy to even look upon sin. There won't be one sin in heaven. And so it's a real problem for us. On one hand, he loves us, but the other hand, he's just, and he can't punish sin, or he can't allow sin into heaven, and we all have sin. So what did he do? Well, that's the good news. That's that fourth piece, the ring finger. He sent Jesus to die on a cross. And what a lot of people don't, they they might intellectually understand, Jesus died on a cross. They might even say he rose from the dead. They might even call him Savior. But what they don't get, they don't realize, is that Jesus substituted himself for us. He literally took our place. He took our sin upon himself and died as if he were us. Moreover, he lived a perfect life, and then he traded that to us. So we get the credit of a perfect life. He gets the credit of a sinful life. He, he died. The wages of sin is death. And so it's this substitutionary atonement that is the method by which we're saved, and our sins are removed from us, and all he asks of us is that we believe in him. That's faith, that we literally trust in him. Now, you know, there's an awful lot of people who say they have faith, but they don't get that faith isn't merely uh, um, a head knowledge. You know, you, you can have a head knowledge. You can have a faith. I believe in George Washington. I believe he was the first president of the United States. I believe I can say all kinds of things about George. But I'm not planning on George showing up and doing anything for me today. And so it's not merely that kind of head knowledge. And frankly, for 26 years, I had that kind of head knowledge about Jesus. I knew who he was. I knew what he did. But I was not trusting in him. And so to have faith... It's not merely acknowledging that these things are true, but it's putting your trust 
firmly and only in it. So much so that if you ask me that question today, John, what would you say if God said, why should I let you into my heaven? I would say nothing about me. Mm-hmm. I would say purely and only because of the work of Christ and what he did on the cross, I've placed my trust firmly and only in him, and that's why I would have eternal life. And, and the Bible says the moment we come to that position of faith in Christ, we're saved. And so we receive this gift of eternal life. And so those are the five key points that really, honestly, most uh, theologians throughout history would agree are the things a person must know. It is a propositional truth. It is. You actually have to use words to talk to somebody about Jesus. And, you know, the truth is, is that, that those words are powerful, according to the Bible, as you quoted already, that when the gospel's presented, um, it is powerful to seek and save that which is lost. That's right. Well, and you look at the need of the hour, John. We are entered, I would say not entering, but already entered into a post-Christian society. And yes. we see the advancement of paganism. Sometimes it is very hostile mm. and very aggressive these days. I think there are a lot of Christians who are caught off guard and they say, hey, everybody kind of had an understanding of the Bible. I mean, we're America. Everybody understands the Bible. <laughs> it's not true anymore. You are really, in no. some cases, starting from ground zero. People don't know what you think they know about the Bible and about God and Christianity. Really, this is a matter in some respects, isn't it, of re-evangelizing barren land that it has is. lost Christ. And yet the good news is, is that I can take you to quite a few places in the world, like Finland would be one of those, where there's a rebirth going on, a revival that's occurring within the church and within the population. And again, I think this is why I started with the testimony bit. We need to remember that the world is asking the question, is it real? Does it, does it really change lives? And, and, you know, it's one of the things that they're quick to point out if they see any sort of hypocrisy uh, in, in people. Because they're asked, because here's the reason, nothing else does. And, and I think, think sometimes as Christians, we forget that or we take so cavalier the idea that we are, in fact, different people than we used to be. Yes. I am not the person that I was when I was 26 years old before having heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. I've been made new and in the process of, be, of being be being made new into the likeness of Christ. You know, I've got a story to tell that, that the world simply doesn't understand, and yet they're looking for it. And so, yes, I agree that they don't have the basis of understanding. It seems like in the story, we have to start earlier on in the story than what we used to have to. Um, most people had a, at least a basic understanding of, of the story, and yet today that's not the case. And no. so... We're having to start a little earlier on, but the but the, the, the salt tablet, the thing that attracts people, that makes them want to drink, is the testimony, and that's still just as powerful today as it's ever been. Good. That's really good. Yeah, you, you've really covered all bases here, and I know that you have a lot of evangelism training that you do with Evangelism Explosion. How key is that, John? I know we're short on time here, but how key is evangelism training to getting Christians motivated to get out there and to actually tell people about Jesus? Well, yeah, that's the thing. And, you know, there are some people in every church that'll just do it regardless. Maybe just you need to encourage them or remind them once in a while. But that's not the bulk of us as Christians. The bulk of us need to be in some sort of a a constant uh, uh, reminder, a constant uh, opportunity for us to be aimed at that. And, you know, accountability is what it, you know, really it comes down to. And so I can tell you this, that when I'm in an ongoing evangelism equipping training, I am way more likely to witness than when I'm not. And so because it's just reminding me every day, it's keeping me accountable to it. 
And so I think that uh, having that in, in a church is a key for the church to really be effectively uh, sharing their faith. Now, listen, I don't want to brag, but, but I, I, I mentioned a few minutes ago a study that was done not too long ago. Fifty to one is the norm today. Yeah. The church that I'm part of is four to one right now. Oh, that's right. Four believers, one person, but it's because we're doing evangelism training and everybody's out witnessing. And that's the kind of fruit we're seeing. I love that. Well, you can go to evangelismexplosion.org and they've got all kinds of great resources and materials about evangelism training. Get involved in learning how to present the gospel and share your testimony. John Sorensen, always a delight to talk to you. And thank you so much for what you do and for being with us today. Janet, thank you. It was a delight. Oh, thank you so much. God bless you and keep up the good evangelism. I love it. You've inspired us all. Hey, thanks a lot for being with us here on Janet Meffer today. God bless you and we'll see you next time. This hour of Janet Meffer today was brought to you by Kingdom Story Company's I Still Believe. Based on the real life true story of chart-topping singer Jeremy Camp, I Still Believe, rated PG. Parental guidance suggested in theaters March 13th. More information is available at IStillBelieveMovie.com.